The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fifty-one plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Swung, fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, 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 Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. High five, ball. Back to right center, and the Braves have landed. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Swing and drive. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero brought to you by armchair all americans and this week we have a special deal for all of you guys if you like to sports bet if you like to bet on some games you think you're pretty knowledgeable you got to kind of show what you're worth you got to put your money where your mouth is everybody likes to get a little bit put a little five dollar bet on the side you know you go and bet with your friends hey i'll bet you this is going to happen well if you're a braves fan and you want to make sure that the Bra- that you really do believe that the braves are going to win the playoffs go to mybookie.ag mybookie.ag they are the best online betting service. I wouldn't be telling you that if I didn't believe it. Uh, Very reliable guys. They do their payouts quick and easy. You want to go to a service that's going to provide you the best services. They've got all the games that you want to put up on there. And they're running a special, if you use our promo code, they will match your money donation up to $1,000. So you join now, you put in your deposit, you put in our promo code, which is Braves, our promo code Braves, they will match your deposit up to $1,000. They've got in-game live betting, so if you want to bet that Acuna drops a homer in the fourth inning of tonight's game, you can do that. You just want to make sure you go. It is mybookie.ag. That is my M Y bookie B double O K I E dot A G, not dot com. They will pay out quick, they will pay out fast. It's pretty simple. You play, you win, you get paid. Simple enough. Everybody likes doing it. Again, one more time, mybookie.ag. Go to them. Make sure you use our promo code Braves. Now, with that out of the way. We would like to welcome in our next guest for the week, and it is a very welcome voice. Most of you have probably listened to him probably every week. It is Steve Epstein from Atlanta Baseball Talk. Steve, what's going on, bud? Not much, guys. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. I know you know that we've uh, wanted to get you on here for quite a while, so uh, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Now... We are in a good spot. We've got a few things that we're going to cover tonight, but uh, let's go ahead and get the fun stuff out of the way first. Most fun thing, coming into tonight, when we're coming in on a Wednesday, we are on our normal schedule. Braves, four and a half games in first place. Pretty good feeling. Amazing. 
We actually yeah. have a magic number right now, uh, and it's a good magic number. It's not an Orioles magic number of this many numbers and you're out of the playoffs. We are at 27, I believe. 27 is the magic number for the Braves to clinch a playoff spot. I never, never would have guessed. Like Even in my my most optimistic dreams, I I would not have thought that this would be happening. And the way that the Braves and the Phillies are both kind of trending, it just... I have to kind of pinch myself every, every time something happens, every time you've got the the Zimmerman walking off the Phillies or uh, Phillies with the walk off toot bland with Vince Velasquez, <laughs> not knowing, not knowing how to tag. I mean, I keep looking at it going they're They're cratering big time. And, and the Braves, I mean, if, if they can just stay the course, nothing too incredibly drastic. I mean, we're looking at a real scenario where the Braves could be in the playoffs for the first time since 2013. I never, never would have guessed. I said 78 wins. I said 84. It it seems impossible. And I've, I've been waiting for the wheels to come off or to regress to the mean, whatever you want to talk about it. But it just hasn't happened. Like this team is who this team is now. They are resilient. Even the, the few four-game losing streaks, they right the ship. I mean, that, that three-game sweep of the Pirates last week after the, after the four-game sweep at the hands of the Rockies, I mean, once that happened, I started to really, 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 really believe that this was, this was a playoff-bound team. And I mean, I was one of the more optimistic people coming into the season, and I said 84 wins. And I thought that that was like an absolute cap when you looked at the young guys. But what you've seen this season is is remarkable. You've got just the right mix, it seems, of, of veteran type of guys who've been around the block, guys like Freddie, uh, guys like Nick Markakis, guys like Tyler Flowers and Kurt Suzuki, who have been around the game enough to know how to mellow out a lot of these young guys who don't know that they're not supposed to be good yet. So they just go out and they're playing 100% all the time. You also need those veterans, though, to be able to mellow those kids out and to keep it from being five-win streak, five-loss streak. These kind of guys kind of mellow it out. And when you've got right now, the Braves are, are, are in a great spot. You talked about that sweep of the Pirates, which was huge. Winning last night in the game against the Rays was enormous because the Braves are in a big stretch of games right now. We're about to have the Cardinals come in. Uh, the Red Sox are going to be coming in. we got a four-game set with the Diamondbacks afterwards when we go back on the road. This is this is a, cru- a crucial time for this, of the schedule for the Braves. If we can hold serve at this point, we finish with the Mets and the Phillies. And the Phillies are trending down, as Doc mentioned. But more importantly, when you get two series with the Mets here at the end, that's the one where you can really set yourselves up and really – really nail it come crunch time because the way it's looking out i believe every division winner is still below the wild card leaders for the nl central i believe uh the nl central basically it looks like they'll get three teams into the playoffs so it's looking like you kind of have to win a division yeah agreed and and like you said the braves are trending in the right way and with with the addition of gossman who's just taken what was a real worry spot about a month ago for me as the starting rotation seemed to be getting kind of creaky like it's they've all it's he's he's seemingly elevated everybody's game acuna starting the second half as the best player in baseball carrying the offense it's just one chapter after another of amazing new thing that keeps the team going and keeps the team winning um 
Yeah, I agree. I, I, the, I mean, I, I honestly believe they are playoff bound this year. Same here. And, and I keep looking around at other teams thinking, what about them is going to knock us out of the playoffs? And I, I keep this is the part where I'm trying to, to rationalize how excited I am, but I'm still trying to keep it measured. I'm looking at the Cubs and I'm looking at the Diamondbacks and I'm, I'm looking around going, we can beat these guys at every single team. Like and it, until we get eliminated, I am just I'm going to have trouble believing that this team is not good enough to make a deep run because the biggest problem was for the while was a bullpen. You got Ventures and you got Brock and having uh, Moylan and Freeman not in the mix for a while really did make them a lot more solid. The starting pitching was starting to go. You get you get Gossman, and then you get great starts from Chuki and Bryce Wilson. So that's that's short up. And now you got Rene Rivera and you got Lucas Duda, and so now the bench, which was a black hole for the longest time, now that's getting solidified. I mean, everywhere you look, like these are good solid moves. Like when Copy was making moves. They almost seemed gratuitous at times, you know, like people used to joke like, oh, he's got the itch. He hasn't made a, made a trade in a couple of days, which there's I mean, there might be some truth in that. There was no need to trade Kevin Chapman for Danny Santana. That benefited nobody. But when it comes to what Anthopolis is doing, it's measured. It's rational. These are good, solid deals that he's making. And he's, sh- and he's shoring up the team for what's looking like a deep playoff run. Like I've. Tell me a reason why I shouldn't believe. One of you guys, please, talk me <laughs> off of this optimistic ledge that I'm on. Well, I'll tell you one. Um, when I look around, and I, I do the same thing as you, Doc, I look around at the teams in the National League and think who can beat us. Um, if I'm being 100% honest, I don't think that we could consistently beat the Cubs in a seven-game series uh, just because of the lineup. Uh, and I'm not I, – I would – and I'm really, really sorry to say this, and it pains me. Uh, I would not pick us to beat the Dodgers in a seven-game set. Um, I think that the Dodgers are the one team because they have good pitching and they absolutely blast homers and they have $10,000 billion to spend on whoever they want, it seems. Um, but I could certainly see a scenario where we do where we hang with the Cubs because they don't have dynamic pitching. Uh, that to me is the one weakness. If I'm pointing out a weakness for the Braves, it's that I don't feel that we have a top flight rotation. We have a good starting rotation. I like the guys that are in there, but we don't really have that horse. We're kind of in the same boat as Milwaukee, where you look around and Milwaukee doesn't really have a guy, the guy that you throw out there to win game one and to close it down in game five if it gets to it, or game four when you want to sweep it. Uh, the Braves, I don't think they're there yet. I think Fulte has been phenomenal this year. Uh, earlier this year, I said that Newcomb was my favorite guy in the rotation so far, but he's kind of starting to lose it a little bit as the innings, I think, are kind of wearing him down a little bit. Um, Julio is, is very spotty, and Julio makes you nervous if you're facing a big home run type of team. Uh, Gosman, while I have... I think Gossman might be that guy that you that you would feel most comfortable with because even if he's not getting the strikeouts, he's a guy that's going to work to ground balls and work to the strengths of this defense. I think it's a team that's built pretty well, um, and I, I love our lineup. I think our bullpen is much better than it was. I don't see really any glaring holes in the bullpen unless you inexplicably use Sam Freeman in a, a playoff situation. But aside from that, 
I think you're pretty solid. And you're talking about with September call-ups, you know Bryce is going to be back up. You know Tukey's going to be coming back up. Uh, Max Freed's going to be coming up. Looks like Kyle Wright, they're prepping him to come out of the bullpen, so he'll be up there as well. Colby Allard gets mm-hmm. back up here today. Chad Saboka has been outstanding this season. He'll be back up. Uh, you've got a lot of positions filled. There's not really any glaring hole on this team. Right, and and I absolutely agree about the starting rotation. And if everybody performs like they're like they can, and we have seen throughout this season, they could make a really deep run into the playoffs. But you could get, you know, not very good Newcomb and inconsistent Tehran, and you know, Anibal could finally fall off the cliff, which seems like it should have happened already, but doesn't. Um, Fulte and Gosman, I feel really, really good about. And the rest of the guys could be great, but you just don't know how it's going to go. And I, I, and really the Newcomb thing particularly, it was so exciting earlier in the year, but I, I agree that he's worn down. And I don't know how much you trust him in the playoffs. We were talking about this the other day. What's bothered me about Newcomb lately in these bad starts, this really bad stretch that he's run into, is the changeup has completely disappeared. Uh, earlier in the year when he first kind of found himself and he was dominating going a little bit deeper into games, which I kind of think is, uh, I think gets a little overblown. The days of people going seven innings are, are pretty much done except for a select few. But when, when Newcomb was working at his best, his changeup was being featured a fair bit. And in this last few, maybe these last four or five starts, really, I don't know that he's thrown the changeup more than four or five times in a game. And I'm not sure why he ditched it. Uh, but I think for Newcomb to be effective against the top-tier teams, I think he has to have that third pitch. And I've said this before when discussing Max Freed, the big looping curveball, it looks really pretty. Uh, I don't generally like it as as much as I do a sharp power curve because it gives a hitter way too much time to adjust, and he can actually be late or, or mistime the adjustment, really, and be fooled on the pitch. But because it takes so long and it loops so far across the zone, you give a hitter more time to react to it, which is why I like it as an every-once-in-a-while pitch. I don't like it if that is your number two pitch in your arsenal. Yeah. Yeah, and I think back to the first half when he really had it rolling, but he had those bad starts in big situations at Fenway, there were a couple others. It may have been the Yankees, it may have been the Dodgers. Um, so I, I worry. I worry about that in the in the playoffs and the lights being a little too bright for him. Hopefully, you know he sort of moved past that, but I don't know. That and he is such a sweater. Like if, it, if it's hot <laughs> outside, man, he is going to drench his uniform by like the second batter. Yeah, he do, he does kind of glisten. You know, when I was looking over his, his starts. Uh, earlier today and he's made he's had two really good starts and two really bad starts and actually the colorado start that he made wasn't even it wasn't pretty by any means but the line was worse than the actual game that he pitched because it was when he came up um in the sixth inning and he wound up facing carly blackman for the fourth time and blackman ripped a two three run double off of him and you know it went from that was the game in that colorado series that was the only one that was just completely out of reach I think the final score on that one was 11 to 5. But the underlying stuff, kind of some of the peripherals that are in there, everything's in line with his uh, strikeout rates and his walk rates for the season. 
Um, the ERA is like five and a half, but the, the FIP is under four. So there's it, it, sometimes stats like that are a little bit more predictive or, or instead of strictly being reflective stats. But some bad luck is going to come and go. But ever since that start where he almost no hit the Dodgers, he has had struggled to be consistent with everything. So when you when you roll that into a playoff start and if you're just kind of gambling, like you kind of know what you're going to get out of Gossman at this point, you know what you're going to get out of Fulte. Um, that's that's the the issue with having guys like Nukem and Tehran where consistency, even if you're not great, as long as you're consistent, that's OK. You can work around it because you kind of know what you're going to get. But. Do you get six and two thirds innings of of scoreless Nukem with a with a couple of walks that he works around, or do you get four and a third Nukem where he throws 110 pitches and allows seven runs to come in? That's that's tough to predict. I mean, so in 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 the in a five game series, I think we'd all agree, Fulte and Gossman. But who's your third starter? I I, I actually, depending on how the month goes, obviously, but I would lean toward. Anibal. I feel most secure about Anibal compared to Tehran and Newcomb. I think it depends who you're playing in that set. So if you're playing a team like the Dodgers or let's say if you're let's say if you're playing the Dodgers, the Cubs, or the Diamondbacks, three big time home run hitting teams, I don't think you pitch Tehran because he's gonna give up long balls to those type of teams. I don't trust Anibal. He's been great this year. And I know that, and maybe it's just me not wanting to, to let the guard down. But I keep thinking he's going to turn back into a pumpkin. That clock is going to strike midnight. And I really don't want it to be in a crucial playoff game when that happens. Uh, we, we talk about that. I would probably roll with Newcomb because in a playoff scenario, you don't have to ask him necessarily to go super deep, especially with the depth that the Braves are going to have. Yeah. What I like the fact we've been talking about how I don't think that our starting rotation is going to be a top playoff rotation. The good news is is the amount of arms that you're going to be able to bring up just because of the September call-ups and put on the playoff roster can mitigate that a lot. When you talk about having guys like Freed and Tukey and Bryce Wilson in the pen and Kyle Wright, these are all guys that could go, you know, they can actually be starters. They could give you four innings, three, four innings in a, in a scenario. These are guys that there's not a lot of tape on right now either. So while you don't necessarily want to put a rookie into a super intense spot like that, I kind of think that's a little overblown, at least initially, because if you notice on pitchers, generally speaking, as long as they don't have any extenuating circumstances like Colby, they will come up and they will have outstanding debuts because teams haven't seen them before. So they don't know exactly what to make of their breaking balls or how their fastball explodes into the mitt or if it's got any late life because they haven't faced them in the box before. So I think that's a great thing. I think Max Freed can end up being one of the most pivotal pieces on a playoff pitching staff because he can come in and give you three innings out of the bullpen. You can start him if you feel like it, but maybe it's Anibal. I mean, if you're just going by yearly consistency, then it would definitely be Anibal. I just have a hard time wanting to trust Anibal against some of these teams. It's one thing to look good against Miami. It's another thing to face a Dodgers lineup that has Harper or that has Machado. It has Bellinger and Peterson can take you yard whenever and Muncie and uh, Dozier and whoever else like they have, they have legitimate firepower one through eight in their lineup. It's scary. Yeah. 
the more I think about it, and this might just be because I watched them last night, and I've been I've been so. You talking about the uh, opener here? What's that? So you considering the opener here? No, no, because I went to Gwinnett last night. Okay, and I know I know this is crazy. This is crazy, and I'm probably going to wind up taking a little bit of heat for this. But I'm not entirely convinced that you don't give that start to a guy like Tukey or Bryce, who is too who is so young and so just like. You tell him that afternoon, and you just throw him in the wolves. Because guys like that, they're still at the point where they're just performing. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing. It, it, to me, that's a situation where you get an Andrew Jones-type performance out of somebody that's too young to know that they're supposed to suck in that situation. You know what I mean? I don't I would, know. Honestly, I, just, I would I'm, actually lean towards Bryce. Because I think Bryce, if you were to stack it up with all of the pitchers that you have right now, Bryce is probably your most consistent strike thrower of the guys. Now that can lead to, you know, if you put too many in the zone, people are going to John lackey you and they're going to start mashing, mashing you, but nobody's really done it to him this year. And at the very least, you know, you got a guy that's going to throw strikes. I, I see where you're coming from on that. And I wouldn't be opposed to it. If you're talking from the standpoint of those guys are like Tukey and Bryce and Kyle, Wright, uh, even Max freed. They are more talented pitching wise stuff wise than Tehran or Anibal so I I could be behind that now the Braves would catch a lot of flack if it goes badly so it's definitely a big risk but I I'm right there with you on that I think those guys are more likely to have bigger games in that situation I think you've got a wider range of outcomes but you've got a much higher upside of an outcome with those guys than you do with a Tehran or an Anibal Sanchez yeah, if it's 1-1, one, one, it feels different than if it's 2-0 or, or God forbid, 0-2. You know, Tukey didn't seem to have his best command, as impressive as he was. And that, I assume, was because he was sort of amped up. You run the risk of that, putting him into, you know, a start in a playoff game. I agree that, that, that Bryce Wilson's stuff, he should just be able to go up there and pound the strike zone. Yeah, it feels a little crazy to me, though. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> I get it, and and the more, you know, like I said, I, I saw saw Tukey from the front row last night, and every everything that he's done from the last couple of weeks. I mean, even and you wonder too. Okay, so like you saw what happened to Danby when he first came up. You saw when Ozzy first came up. Um, like when when these prospects show up, and it's like you just you don't have enough tape, you don't have enough reports. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the prospect kind of outpaces some of the regular guys because then they're just like, I've never seen this guy before. I don't even know what to make of this guy. Well, that's a real that's thing. Almost, that's a real thing coming from a baseball background. It's a lot easier to to face a guy when you faced him before. Like, anybody can tell you that, hey, this guy has a hammer of a curveball. But until you see it, it doesn't really matter what they say. It's like somebody giving signs out on second base. Somebody can tell you a fastball is coming, and that is a good help. But unless you've actually faced that person's fastball or that person's slider, it's really, really difficult to have a handle on it right away. Now, maybe in that situation, I think you could tell fairly early. So, like, say you say, let's just say for for argument's sake, you start Tukey and he's amped up like he was in his first game and he's missing arm side. That is where a guy like Anibal, you can bring him in and you can de facto run an opener on him and you not really lose much because then you can have Anibal come in and basically start from the second inning onward. But I think the Braves would have to finagle a little bit to, to be in some of these bigger series. Now, if you're talking about some other guys, like I think the Braves 
would match up very well with the Brewers. I think that we are a better overall team than them. Uh, I think they have more thunder in the lineup, most certainly. But their defense is highly questionable on the infield. Uh, I don't. I don't think that they have a single pitcher who I would call more than a three at best. So I think. Uh, I think that you could beat the Brewers pretty easily in a seven-game stretch. Uh, let's see who else. Cardinals. I think you're a better team than the Cardinals. Yeah. Uh, let's see who else could we potentially face. I think you're a better team than. I think you're a better overall team than the Diamondbacks. Quite frankly, now I do love that they got Eduardo Escobar. But I do think in a playoff scenario that you could beat the Diamondbacks through a seven-game series because their bullpen is inconsistent, I'll say. Um, I do like – and Robbie Ray's not been good this year, so I think you match up pretty well with them. I think the scary two are obviously the Cubs and the Dodgers, and I think the Dodgers are really the team that you circle. The Cubs, I'm not sure what Joe, what Joe Madden's going to get out of the Cubs this year, quite honestly. They don't have Hugh Darvish. Um I mean, John Lester is John Lester. He could go out there and throw eight innings of one hit ball, or he can go out there and give up 12 runs in two innings. I don't think they know what John Lester they're going to get. Cole Hamels has been pretty good since he uh, since he came over there, though. I don't worry about so, Hamels. We've seen him so often. or f- Well, I take that back. Most of our guys have not seen him at all. I haven't. <laughs> Dang, it's hard to think about now. I, always, I still think of him as a Philly. But most of the guys on our team have not seen him at all. I still wouldn't worry about Hamels too, too much, other than the fact that we can't seem to hit Dan Straley. So, like, old Hamels pitches like Dan Straley. So, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to have to think on that now. The Straley thing is really weird. That, and that that game, you know, credit where it's due, he pitched great. But I, that's one of those guys where it used to be um, – like a couple years ago, Burt Smith comes up, kind of nobody in his major league debut. It shuts the Braves down. It's like two hit him over seven innings or something. Like, who the hell is this guy? You know what I mean? Never like, has another was, start like that in his entire career. It's only against the Braves. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it, since Smith has basically been a giant nothing burger since that same thing happened. But the Braves have had that same thing happen for for years, where it's like you you know, Straley is not bad. But he's not, you know. Remember, we used to struggle against Bruce Chen. Bruce Chen could have like an eight ERA. He'd face the Braves and he'd throw like a a shutout. Well, and and that stuff still happens this year too. That guy, that guy, I can't think of his name. The starter from the Mets. Remember, like two months ago, Jason Vargas with that over ten ERA. Jason Vargas. Jason Vargas, exactly. And and he dominates the Braves that game. And yet we beat Degrom multiple times this year, and we right. and we right. kill Cindergard, and we kill Cindergard routinely. Right. I, I I can't explain that really. That's just one of those and, weird things. And find a way to beat Scherzer, and yeah, it's just yeah, kind of beat weird. up on Scherzer a little bit. I think we scored three beat. or four runs on him a few times, which that's beating up Scherzer. And uh, don't forget, Fulte got that that two run double off of Max Scherzer, which is I can guarantee that is his greatest hitting accomplishment of his entire career. He could, you know, he could play fifteen more years and he'll never get a more meaningful hit than that one. Mike, but the Braves have beat beat Nola too. Like, it, and you look up and down at the the leaders on on Fangraphs for FWAR for pitchers, and the Braves have beat 
all of these guys. And and sometimes it's games that they'll they'll hold like one to one or something because the Braves starting pitching has been stepping up against all all of these guys where it's like they they crave the big matchup. You know, you lose to Dan Straley, but you, but you beat Max Scherzer. And you know what? Dan Straley's not going to the playoffs. And actually, neither is neither is Max Scherzer. <laughs> neither is Max Scherzer. Oh man. But but, but, <laughs> but that type of pitching, that that elite level of pitching, the Braves can hang. I I I had an article about this earlier in the year, breaking down what the records were against like the top thirty or thirty five in, in F four, and the Braves record was like eighteen and eight against these guys. I mean, it's they can beat good pitching, you know. And now that Acuna's on and Ender's hitting and Dansby's still, Dansby, I know I I, I almost wasn't going to say it because I don't want to jinx it, but. It's been almost two weeks now that Dansby's been hitting. Is that what we're saying right now? Is that what we're really going to give credit for now? Hey, he's been good for two weeks. Well, I'll, I'll take it. Come on, man. Yeah, the, when your eighth-place hitter is driving in runs and hitting like that. Listen, Dansby and I have a thing. I think he's a utility guy, quite honestly. I'll be honest. I'm just kind of playing a little bit. I am very happy that – somehow at the end of the season when it's mattered the most, when we've needed him the most, he's managed to start hitting. And last night he was crushing. Last night he was crushing. Uh, Everything he was hitting was ropes. Um, I don't understand why pitchers are still throwing him inside fastballs. Doesn't make any sense to me because if you look at his spray chart, like his heat chart, uh, like the one area of the plate that he hits rocket shots is up and in. And pitchers keep throwing him there. So that's, I mean, if you want to keep doing that, by all means, continue. Um but it's been it's been especially needed because Freddie, bless his heart, Freddie and Nick Marcakis in the month of August have been absolutely dreadful. Uh, and I'm I'm sure the sheer number of games that we've had to play in a row has had a lot to do with it. When Freddie comes out and says, "Really glad that we had the off day. It was really well needed." For a guy like Freddie to say that, you know, basically that means I'm dying. Uh, I'm not going to tell coach to take me out of the game, but I'm dying. Because he's a guy that wanted to play through any injury he's ever had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that. Of you know, will Snicker just sit in? And Who are you going to start I, at I first? The, I get the sense that Freeman won't let him. No, I mean they've said it already before. Snicker said that before that he's tried to sit Freddie, and Freddie's like, "No, don't sit me," or like that Freddie will get pissed off about it. And I respect right. that part of Freddie too. That I respect that from a player that wants to go out there and play every day. Uh, sometimes you need to say if you, let me clarify if you have a decent person who can cover and play first base then you say hey look this isn't the best interest of the team but coming from where the Braves are at who are you going to put at first if you're sitting Freddie well now you're going to put Lucas Duda first right but before today who are you going to put yes. in yeah no agreed agreed shuffle but, Mark I wonder, if, but, I wonder if the addition of Duda changes any of that I wonder because dude is a guy who's used to starting and uh if you guys weren't paying much attention, we, the Braves did acquire Lucas Duda for cash considerations. Uh, a very cost-efficient, a good move, really. If you're not aware of what Lucas Duda is at this point, uh, essentially he's a slightly lesser version of Matt Adams. Not quite as good in any of the categories, but pr- like not enough to really notice. Not enough to where I would want to pay even 2 or $3 million more for Matt Adams. Uh, Lucas Duda is a year removed from 30 home runs. And moving from Kaufman, where he was playing for the Royals, moving to Atlanta, you're going to see his, his power numbers jump up. Um, he's not traditionally been a good pinch hitter, but if you're asking me who I'd rather have up in a pinch hitting situation, 
uh, Ryan Flaherty or Lucas Duda. I'll take Lucas Duda with one leg and like two broken fingers as opposed to Ryan Flaherty at full health. So that was a great move by Anthopolis. And Doc touched on it a little bit ago. Talking about Anthopolis' moves have been very measured. They've also, none of his moves have been flashy, but they've all been better moves. Like everybody and their brother was, was wanting Chris Archer. Make the trade for Chris Archer. You've got plenty of pitching to go after Chris Archer. I've never really wanted Chris Archer. Uh, I think he's a guy who has some sexy numbers. If you just look at the K rate, like, ooh, he can strike anybody out. You're seeing what Chris Archer is, though, in Pittsburgh. And the Pittsburgh team is basically telling their fan base, hey, don't judge him off the rest of this year. That's kind of who Chris Archer is. Tampa Bay is a hard place to hit. Archer gives up a ton of home runs, and that's kind of what he does. So I wasn't big on the Gosman train, um, but I, I clearly underestimated just how horrible Roger McDowell is. So kudos to Alex Anthopoulos for essentially fixing him with one move or two moves, which is, hey, you're throwing the splitter 23% of the time. We're going to cut that to like 16% like it should be. And then we're going to put you in the stretch the whole time. And uh, right, right. <laughs> Apparently McDowell's two go-to pieces of coaching are be uncomfortable on the mound and don't get ahead in the count. Well, what's Roger McDowell's M.O.? teach you the splitter or the sinker and that's all you throw literally if you look at the fan graphs numbers and it's a fun thing to look at with pitchers who are struggling or guys that you think that you can change uh which i will guarantee you is what the brave scouting department was, was doing was looking at his pitching philosophy since mcdowell came in there this year he was throwing his splitter more than five percent more than he ever had in his career before and he was having the worst year of his career shocker when you throw pitches that generally have to sink down in the zone, when you throw a pitch that drops, if you have it too high in the zone and you're in the AL East, guess what happens? And Archer had uh, his walks spiked a lot too. And if you're, as we have seen with Julio Tehran, if you're a guy that gives up a lot of home runs, you cannot walk a bunch of dudes. So, I mean, Archer gave up six runs in the third inning of the Pirates game the other day. Gossman gave up six runs in August. You know, like, and not not to mention, like, early returns are are not looking great. I mean, Archer is a good pitcher. Don't don't give me look don't what get me they wrong, gave Garrett. up for him. What's that? So just look what they gave up for him. Yeah. Like they gave up Glasnow, Austin Meadows, and Shane Baz. That and that's that's the thing too. Like y'all know, I love Bruce Zimmerman, Dylan. I know you love JCE, but. That deal was a masterstroke. That was un- unbelievable. And it tells me, in addition to Anthopolis, also looking at Paramanasian and uh, Jason Pere, uh, who is the analytics guy, those guys are running some type of programs over there that's spitting out some really good information because the Duval thing hasn't worked out yet. But so far, all of those other deals, like even when they got Carlos Perez from the Angels for uh, how long was he up? two three weeks that was solid that was absolutely solid because either flowers or suzuki was kind of ailing and he here's a great defensive catcher that's going to cost you nothing and you know he, he did his did his piece and then he moved on i mean it's been i just i love what this front office is doing and going into next year the gossman deal makes me feel really good about any trades that are going to happen going into this offseason those are famous last words don't ever don't ever tell anybody <laughs> i said that you know, one underrated piece of the of the Duda acquisition is he now has to play in front of Braves organist who he was mad at for playing Camptown races when he used to come up to bat with the Mets. <laughs> the the uh, you know 
the doodah doodah thing. I mean, knowing uh, it always makes me think of the opening scene from Blazing Saddles. But uh, yeah, that was uh, speaking of of master strokes. Matt Matt Kaminsky is kind of a uh, like as a genius. Oh, he's he's very much a genius. He really is. Now talking about that, you just mentioned uh, you just mentioned the off season. I think that it's hard not to look to the off season when you hear names like Manny Machado and Bryce Harper on the market. This is kind of a weird off season because we've heard all year long about how this is the greatest free agent class ever. Um, I don't really agree with that because I think there's a few names that yes, totally. Like I don't know that you've ever seen two guys the same level of talent as Machado and Harper hit free agency the same year, but like starting pitching is the one thing. Oh, get a get a big name starting pitcher, sign him in free agency. There's not really a big name starter in free agency, and I I think Alex is too smart to go and throw out a hundred and thirty million dollar contract for a guy like Dallas Keuchel, Patrick Corbin, Hinjin Ryu. Let's see who else. I think that's kind of like the big names as far as who's actually you know free agent starting pitching. My big thing, which will continue to be the big thing, is get me Jacob freaking Degrom because you had me an actual ace onto the staff, um, and then I I'm gonna go print out World Series shirts right away, but that requires the will ponds to you know be smart for a change and they're not so i have to table that for the time being the good news is the braves are in such a spot that really they could kind of go any way this offseason it's going to be i'm not going to say that they can't but i'm going to say it's going to be very very hard for them to blow the offseason <laughs> those also are famous last words i said really hard not impossible true True. No, I mean, if, you, if you're looking at guys like Keichel and Corbin, you have to look where they're going to fit, too, because, I mean, as it stands now, there's only one open rotation spot next year, and there's like 20 guys competing for it, you know? Like, even even if you make a, a giant splash, it almost has to be for a bat, because if you trade four of your top-end pitchers, it only kind of clears the logjam, right. and then... And, and then what? I mean, you can, if you want to get a bat of some kind, you know, you look at somebody like Dylan, you mentioned Trevor Story. You know, that's somebody that's that could guy. possibly possibly be had, and Colorado could, could probably, you know, they probably would not be averse to acquiring some really good pitching talent. But um, I don't know. There, there's so, so much going on. Like, they started fast-tracking all of these guys, and they all deserved it. But at a certain point, it's like, God, slow down. You're creating a problem. You just realize what you're doing. You're creating such a problem for next year. Yeah, it, it feels like the money is going to go to a bat. There's so much pitching. I mean, there's already too much pitching. And, I, you know, Fulte and Gossman, I think, are locks. Um, Newcomb's a lock. Okay, Newcomb's a lock, and I, you know, it feels like Tukey should be a lock. Um, yeah, all of a sudden there's not a lot of spots, but if you if 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 those guys mature, you know, with with an off season and a good spring, but then you add that big bat, it gets um, really really interesting for next year. How do you guys feel about Harper? I would add Harper before I add uh, – I feel two ways about it. I think yeah. Harper is a little overrated. Uh, I don't think he's a top three player in baseball. I really don't. Um, 
to this point in their respective careers, Freddie has actually been a more valuable player than Bryce Harper. Um, but you tell me that I can add Bryce Harper's bat into this lineup, uh, sign me up. If you tell me I have to pick between Harper and Machado, if you can assure me that Machado is perfectly happy playing third and only third base, then I would prefer Machado because I'd prefer a right-handed power bat, but I don't think Machado's going to do that. I think Machado wants to go to New York. I think Bryce wants to go to L.A., but I think that the Braves have a higher shot of signing Bryce Harper than I think they do of Manny Machado. Honestly, I don't think they get either one, though. I love Bryce Harper, even even though I know that there are so many people out there that just stopped listening. Doc um, said that. That was Doc. I... I love Bryce Harper. I, th- I think you're right. I think that he is he is probably a little bit overrated, but anybody who was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when they're 16. And he was called Baseball's LeBron. LeBron. LeBron James is literally the only athlete who ever lived up to the hype. He's the only one. You know what I mean? LeBron is a unicorn, but Bryce is also some different type of, my- of mythical creature, like a centaur or something. And what? I don't know. Like He's, he's so... He's so divisive. Like he's this team has a lot of swag. I think Harper is more likely than Machado, but I think you're right. I think that both of them are long shots. Um, I think that what it would take to get Bryce Harper in Atlanta is sign an eight-year, two hundred and fifty million dollar deal with an opt-out after the third year. Uh, I think that the first three, the deal would be front-loaded, so he would wind up getting like one hundred and five million over the first three years, and then he can just go somewhere else. Um, and and it's the perfect window, right? You match him up with Freddie in, in in the last few years of Freddie's contract. I just God, it would make the 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 batting order so much longer. I, I would do it in a heartbeat. Let me tell you my offseason plan, okay? I've had a while to think about this, and I think I've got pretty much a perfect plan. We already re-signed Tyler Flowers to an outstanding extension. If, if Tyler Flowers hits 192 over this year, over this next season and the season after that, you still had a great extension just purely for the way he handles pitching staffs and his pitch framing. Yeah. $6 million guaranteed for the best pitch framer in baseball is a steal. Uh, I would target, instead of Real Muto, who is going to take a buttload of high-end prospects, um, I would target Yasmani Grandal. He's a above-average offensive catcher. Uh, and above average defensive catcher, and he's a switch hitter, which I like too. Uh, second best pitch framer in all of baseball. And Grandall is a guy who could start most of the games for you. Tyler Flowers fits in as a great backup to Grandall. Uh, so I'd sign Grandall. I would trade pitching for Trevor Story. Uh, I would also trade Dansby for like elite type of bullpen. Elite type of bullpen here. Not like, okay, he's pretty good. No, like lockdown bullpen. Uh, because while I think Dansby, and I, I'm not averse to keeping Dansby, but if you're telling me that I can have Dansby or I can have Trevor Story, I'm taking Trevor Story. Um, yeah. hundred times out of hundred. That gives you the right-handed power bat that I want in the lineup to split between Freddie and Markakis. I think you could re-sign Markakis for a year, or I think there's a few other things you could do. Right field's a little bit different. I personally would like to go after Aaron Hicks and see if you could convince the Yankees to trade Aaron Hicks especially if they look for a Bryce Harper, per se. If they get in on the Harper train, Hicks becomes expendable for them, uh, and I would go for Hicks in a heartbeat. Um, I'm not – I would rather get – I would rather accumulate multiple upgrades than blow all of your money on one big upgrade, I guess. I'd like to have more eggs in the basket than 
put all of my eggs in one guy to go behind Freddie per se. Yeah, no, has that's a, a fair point. If Harper has another year like this year, then I, the way that pitchers are, are pitching now, I don't know that I don't know what Bryce Harper is right now. I know he's a guy that can hit you thirty five homers. I know he's a guy who's going to have a sky high OBP. Um, but I also, and this might be the old school person in me. But I really don't want to pay a guy thirty million a year to hit like two thirty. I really don't. Um, th- like I said, that's probably a little old school of me, but it's just the optics of that to me. And while Freddie and Harper get along, for guys and who, who have played with Harper in his own clubhouse to say that he's not for everybody, that does worry me a little bit about for a team that's so built around chemistry right now with so many young guys. I'm not saying I wouldn't take Harper. I'm just saying there's a few other things I would consider. Just like I'm not altogether certain that I want to even add Josh Donaldson at this point. I'm not altogether certain that I think Austin Riley automatically displaces Johan Camargo. Yeah. You know, I, I saw this afternoon that Donaldson is not back in the lineup tonight. He has like leg cramps and soreness and they're not starting him tonight so the likelihood of that just got a little less anyway what's your ultimate offseason plan steve like how what would you do going into 2019 i would yeah so i mean i would love to land bryce harper but i understand the all you know that that one big egg in the basket i um I, i wouldn't get starting pitching I, um, yeah, I would like to get an outfield bat and I'd like to shore up the bullpen with a really big bullpen piece. That's not Craig Kimbrell. I don't think we should spend the money on Craig Kimbrell like people are talking about. Um, Cody Allen, just throwing that name out there coming off a bad year should be, should be cheaper. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's, it's guys like you mentioned and I want nothing to do with Real Muto. The, the price is going to be too high. All the all the narrative around um, uh, the you know the flowers extension is look it's you know 100 degrees here and no catcher is going to play over a, you know 130 games and then so why are we talking about giving up the farm for Real Muto to begin with the same is going to be true for him um, yeah I I, I want to shore up the corner outfield and shore up the bullpen. And then I think this team is really legitimate next year. And it's it's kind of and, you're in a weird spot because we're not used to being good, honestly, right. for the last few years. Uh, and everybody always wants to make the big sexy move in free agency. Like it's fun to play GM and be like, "Ooh, I want this guy." But you start looking around and you start looking at the guys. There's not really many that you look at and go, "Wow, he'd be a huge upgrade over so and so." Like the Braves don't have a whole lot of places for you to really upgrade with people that are available. Um, Right. Like really, it's just shortstop. Maybe if you feel froggy, if you wanted to trade Ender, I think Ronald Acuna allows you to trade Ender if you get if Ender is involved in something that brings you back a legitimately over the top type of piece. Uh, Ender just blocked us. <laughs> I'm not advocating trading Ender. Uh, I think that that's that's the type of thing. So like say like say you wanted to get a Starling Marte from Pittsburgh. Uh, I think Ender would be an essential piece for them because I don't think Pittsburgh wants to rebuild again. So you'd have to give up good pitching prospects. And I, I think they would require a major league player of the talent level of Ender who also has a team-friendly deal like Marte. Uh, but that that's 
just purely spitballing. Uh, and I'm getting besides the point. I'm going to get sidetracked into free agency talk, and that's all the show is going to be. So I'm going to cut that off right there because um, I do want to talk about a couple other things. A few weeks ago, Doc and I flat out said that the rookie of the year race was over. And it was Juan Soto's wrapped up and signed, sealed, and delivered. Uh, I'm guessing Ronald Acuna must have heard that through the grapevine and had somebody translate it for him because uh, he has turned in a mythic performance over the last month. And what was a signed, sealed, and delivered rookie of the year is now pretty much just switching. It's at this point, I don't see any way that Ronald Acuna does not win rookie of the year. You're talking about in. What at least a hundred less at bats than Juan Soto. He's got twenty one bombs. Uh, his OPS is still over a thousand out of the leadoff spot. He's doing it as a leadoff hitter, and he, since he's moved up to leadoff, he has been the best player, not just on the Braves, but maybe a top three player in the league. Period. Yeah, I mean the, the fact that that storyline changed so dramatically is incredible to begin with. The fact that he really did it over the course of five games is even more incredible. Like it all just switched over that weekend in those games with consecutive home runs. He became the story of baseball. It's it's just it's been unbelievable. Even for for as much as people were finally starting to take notice of this team, it wasn't until he started doing that before everybody was going, Oh my God, the Braves are for real. You know what I mean? Like, there was a lot of skepticism, and then Acuna starts doing that. It was to the point, like, during that five-game stretch, that when Urania hit him, then it was like everybody was suddenly on the Braves' bandwagon. Oh, yeah. You know, like, all of the national guys, not just Buster Olney's kid, but Buster himself and Ron Gardner. Sherman. Yeah, dude, Ron Gardner was mad as hell. <laughs> Advocated putting him at the bat of leadoff so he could get drilled. And you know, Urania really kind of kind of showed his ass during during that situation. But like, but the Braves recovered from that whole thing. It showed a lot of team unity. Like that that, that whole thing is huge. That five game stretch is absolutely crucial because now people are paying attention. They they had to naturally go out and drop four straight to Colorado after national eyes were kind of kind of fixed on them, but they've recovered from that. I think that everybody knows now. I mean, we were talking about at the beginning of this episode. We we, we have a magic number to be concerned about in a good way now, and I think I think that uh, Acuna is he's the spark. You know, I was watching the game with my parents the other day, and they were both both just giddy with laughter for how much they love Ronald Acuna, you know, for how fun he makes watching the game. You know, even that's the type of dude who's on that Trout-esque level that even people that don't, not not in terms of talent because Trout is a... Let's say Mookie Betts level because Trout is, like, otherworldly. But just in terms of, like, even people that don't know baseball... They know Ronald Acuna, yeah. They'll enjoy watching him. He's just got that air about him, like... Everything he does, like he doesn't even have to have a good game. Like just that aura that he kind of exudes makes you want to watch him. He's got that that Deion Sanders primetime type of feel. Like that you you just you have to watch him because at any moment he could do something miraculous. Right. And and it's all mixed in with like really good natured energy. You it know? Reminds me of King so Griffey Jr. when when Jr. came up. Not that yeah. I'm saying he's going to have that career, by the way. That's just right. the that's just the the kind of aura about him is it's very 
natural esque. Like it, 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 that's just what it seems like to me. I don't know. Maybe because I was so young when Griffey Jr. came up, but when I was a kid, watching Griffey Jr. walk around the ballpark and, and, and the way that he just kind of had that slow smile. Andrew had that same smile too, and Andrew was partly that same thing. Although with Andrew, it was all about being in the field. But Griffey and Acuna are just that where you want to watch him do everything because. He can jump a fence and rob a homer. He can blast one 470 feet somewhere. He can steal three bases. He can turn a single into a double or, or whatever. He's just going to do something. Isn't it amazing how many infield ground balls he turns into co- close plays at first? Like like no other guy I've seen on a consistent basis. I mean, he's gotten to the point where Joe, where Joe Simpson doesn't even like criticize him anymore. And... <laughs> That's now hard that's to do. Something. That's hard to yeah. do because Joe's a grumpy old man. Which uh, we'll, we'll get. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. Uh, but I feel I feel compelled to say that while I said that the NL Central is has the best teams in the National League, the NL East has the most talent because you look at the three rookie of the years, the top three rookie of the year finals in the National League. Uh, it's going to be Ronald Acuna is going to win it, Juan Soto, and then right. Miami's Brian Anderson. is, is He should be third. Um, I would yeah. imagine he still will be. Harrison Bader you can make an argument for, but I think Brian Anderson has had a better year, and he's been up longer, and he's done it longer than Harrison Bader. Uh, and Brian Anderson has that s- just stupid, ridiculous arm that I would have to I'd have to see him in a top three. Uh, all three of those in the NL East, and the three Cy Young candidates, all three deserving, all three in the NL East. I think nobody can argue that the best, the top three pitchers in baseball as far as divisions go are all in the NL East. When you got Degrom, who's having a legendary season, uh, and if he doesn't get the Cy Young this year, then that award should be thrown away forever. Uh, you've got Max Scherzer, who's also having an insanely great year and has a ton of wins to back it up, even though we know pitching wins is an empty stat. Um, Aaron Nola, who leads all of all pitchers in war. And he's kind of the forgotten one out of those three because for whatever reason, Nola doesn't seem to stand out like the other ones. Uh, he doesn't get the same amount of play on ESPN. He doesn't get the same sort of national attention. But Aaron Nola, I think, has the highest war of any pitcher in baseball right now. All three of those guys in the same division. Two of those just faced off last night. And DeGrom, it's not his fault that the Mets can't get him a run when he's got like a 1-8-4 ERA in his last like 15 starts. What about uh, Sam Freeman? Yeah, that guy's a National League East, too. He's pretty pretty fantastic, right? Peter Moylan? You see, we were on something good here, Doc, and you had to ruin it by throwing in that poor excuse for humor. It was funny. Come on, that was funny. That was Come on, if we can't laugh at Sam Freeman, we can only cry about it. I'm trying to heap praise on Jacob DeGrom, who is a Braves fan and grew up a Braves fan, and will be a Brave. Eventually. But he's not now. Until he's with the Braves, he's still with the Mets, and that does make him kind of just guilty for being in the wrong gang. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. I love Max Scherzer. I do love Max Scherzer. He's amazing. <laughs> Who's the worst team? Who's the worst gang? The team that can actually beat you in the Nationals besides this year? Or the Mets, who are the doofus team of the league that can't seem to do anything in their star pitcher aside from DeGrom gets hand, foot, and mouth disease? The Mets are always terrible, no matter what is going on. 
the Nationals used to be the Expos. That's forgivable. The Phillies were terrible for a couple of years. There was an element of solidarity. The Marlins are harmless. The Mets are always See, terrible. I'm going to remind you of this. I'm going to remind you of this in a couple of years when you're on here talking about Jared Kelenic nonstop. I'm going to remind you that he's a Met, so you have to hate him. The Mets ruined Jared Kelenic for me already. Mark Vientos, too. They are, they're dead to me. You're a liar, sir. The Mets, have, the Mets have crossed over into, like, the sympathy zone. They're the me. bad news bears of baseball now. They're Murphy's Law. Yeah. They are Murphy's Law of baseball. I mean, to have such a terrible ownership and then to lose your GM and turn it into a three-headed GM scenario where you really can't do anything right, it is just a pitiful situation over there. I mean, they're one of the worst teams in baseball. They haven't called up hardly any of their rookies to get them any experience. They're banking on David Wright making a return, and you know, as, as good as it would be for David Wright to get back up and it'd be a cool story, um, yeah. I don't know why you aren't getting Mark Vientos extra time up there or, or some of your guys like uh, Tom Smith giving him some extra run there to see if he actually can hit big league pitching. Uh, they're, they're trotting out you know guys that are broken and hoping to get something from them. And then you have a, a ownership that they have a chance to get a ridiculous and basically rebuild their farm system in one trade deadline by dealing DeGrom and Wheeler and Syndergaard. Between those three guys alone, you could end up getting just about anybody's top four or five prospects and completely pull White Sox and completely rebuild your farm system. Instead, the Mets, the idiots that the Wilpons are, are talking about, I'm not certain if we're going to be sellers or buyers at the deadline. Yeah, all because they don't want to be on the back pages with something negative. Uh, You know... uh yeah, it just it, it is senseless how they're running that organization. I hate them. They're ruining the career of Jacob Degrom. You see, all we have done here, we just proved my point. The Mets are always terrible. Yeah, but they're laughably terrible. I can't ever like you say you forgive the Nats for being the Expos. The Expos used to beat the crap out of us. So no, that makes me hate them more. We were the only team that couldn't beat the crappy Expos. What made it worse, even when they would always beat the Braves, you still only had like two thousand people show up. The Expos were like finishing school for so many great players. You know what I mean? You look at how many great players there were that passed through Montreal that wound up being great somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, Randy Johnson, Larry Walker, um, Vlad Guerrero, Tim Raines, Vlad Guerrero. I mean, they're they're everywhere, man. What's up? So they had Cliff Floyd too for a minute, didn't they? They did. They did. So, but yeah, I didn't. Here's the thing. There, I have like a black hole in my uh, my baseball memories between about 1999 and honestly, probably about until a couple years ago. But <laughs> the, there was a, there was a point like where when I was just a kid, I just absorbed everything. There, there was no like. You love the Braves, but it's like, you know what? If the the Cubs are playing the Giants, you watch the game. Who cares? It's a baseball game. You know what I mean? Or uh, who who cares at a certain point? Back before and the even Cubs when you're in the division, the Empire? I didn't I didn't have the same ingrained bias that I have now. I am 36 years old. I have like the Mets were the first team I ever hated. You know, I hated them then. I hate them now. Like even then, even when I was just tuning into random A's versus Astros games, like before it mattered, or like back when the Brewers were still in the American League, 
You know what I mean? Like those types of things didn't matter then. They matter now. I hate the Mets now. I've hated the Mets for a <laughs> very long time. Yeah, you know, I grew up in the Northeast, and my my folks were from New York, and we used to go to a bunch of games at Shea. Um, even though I grew up a Red Sox fan as a kid, and uh, so I, you know, I've always sort of had a soft spot in my heart for the Mets, even though I mean, I obviously want to beat them every time, but the Nationals, there's something particularly special about the Nationals and my hatred for them. <laughs> They're just such a douchey team. Say again? They're just such a douchey team. All of them. They, they, re- they really are. And and yeah, I hate Scherzer's two so different unlikely. colored eyes. Scherzer's eyes freak me out. I feel like he's going to try to steal my soul. That he's like, that that one brown eye, like if he, he's just trying to get an extra soul so it'll turn blue too. Like, just freaky, man. That's why he gets so many strikeouts. He just hypnotizes batters. Well, as about your hatred for the Nationals, Steve, how much of it actually has to do with Bryce? Yeah, it's a huge part of it. No, there's no doubt. No, we, we, we had this conversation on our show a few weeks ago about, because we all hate Bryce on the show, and then talked about, but he put if he puts on that laundry, you know, we could, we could find ourselves liking him pretty easy. But yes, a lot about Bryce, um, you know, a, a lot about just, the stupid chemistry stuff. I mean, the Papelbon choking and the firing of the managers, they just are so easy to hate. You know, all the bad decisions. I mean, just, I, I love piling on to that kind of stuff. It, yeah, I just, yeah, it, it is, it is a very unlikable cast of characters. The Phillies will always hold the, the most special place in my heart because Philadelphia is a garbage city with a garbage fan base. <laughs> So anything from Philadelphia, aside from Mike Trout, I hate. And like even that, like that, like that's Mike Trout being a fan of Philadelphia is proof positive that every single person has a flaw, that nobody's perfect. Um, like that, that city could fall off the face of the map for me, and I'd be fine. Like I, I hate everything about them. Uh, I hate their city. I hate their fan base. I think their stupid cheesesteaks are overrated too. Um, <laughs> everything, but. Uh, it's it's like I don't think anybody hates the Marlins, per se. Like it, you, even though if you look at it, the Marlins since '96 have been more successful than the Braves because they have two World Series. They don't yeah. get to the playoffs ever, but when they do, they win it all. Well, I was going to say I think the, the only people that hate the Marlins are people in Miami. Or angry about all the teardowns. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, that's that's absolutely true. Because it was they won the World Series in '97 and then tore down like the next three year. weeks later. Yeah, <laughs> it was like immediately. They they've never lost a playoff series. They've never won a division. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> None of this makes any sense. They've never lost a playoff series, and they've never won the division. That's insane. But and how is it then? You know, maybe maybe my feelings on the Mets are slightly inflated because they did have a, a mild run of success. They made it to the World Series a couple years ago. The Nationals, you know, we know about that. The Phillies, you know, they. What was the last time they made a World World Series? Two thousand two thousand eight. Two thousand nine. Two thousand eight. Two thousand nine. Yeah. So I mean, maybe just as recency bias with them, but like there is no part of me that hates the Miami Marlins. I feel like they're a division rival. You know, they I don't. they should 
they should have some type of ingrained hate. I just, I got nothing, man. I watch them. And I'm like, that's really cute. You guys are trying so hard, <laughs> but I feel like, I, I feel like there's some level of solidarity there. Cause it's like almost the same thing with the Phillies where it's like, they sucked when we sucked. And you could just look at a Phillies fan. Like I talked to a Phillies fan in my grocery store and he was just like restocking the, the, the milk or the eggs or something wearing a Phillies hat. And I was like, you know, you're a really brave guy for wearing that hat around here. I throw an we egg got to talk- Well, we got to talking about our respective rebuilds and I'm like, this guy gets it. This guy was in the same place. The Braves were a couple of years ago. You know what I mean? But, but like, I, I get it. I get Phillies fans in that regard. That's the only way I get Phillies fans. But like the Marlins, I just, now I see what they're going through. They are, having a really rough time down there and it shows you see a real muto the dude's freaking miserable brian anderson knows that his the first four years of his career are just going to be spent going oh jesus serenity now <laughs> just a <laughs> couple more years and maybe we're going to get somebody you know by the time i hit arm three it'll be time for us to have a have a record of above 500 but i just i don't hate the marlins they're, they're one of those teams like Kind of like the Royals. Like, I, I don't see a way where I could actually ever hate the Kansas City Royals. I just look at the Marlins and say, you know what? That's cute. You're going to look real good in Montreal colors. <laughs> Somebody's going to Montreal. And then, only then, can I can I love the Expos again? Because apparently I'm, I'm taking a lot of flag for not hating the was Expos, were Expos. Old. Yeah. You're, you're catching a lot of flack for it, 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 as you should. It should absolutely be the team we're playing tonight should go to Montreal. Yes. I No, the Rays should go to Vancouver to do the right thing and get them a fan base that will actually care about them because Vancouver fans are crazy. They lost the Grizzlies. They got the Canucks. Yeah. Yeah, and they're nuts about it. Send them to Portland then. Give Rip City a baseball team. I think that could work. I think that could work. Get the Rays. The Rays need a team. The Rays have been too good. The Rays have been too good of a franchise over the last decade, I guess, to to do as well as they have with no money, no fan base to bring in money, a horrible TV deal, and the maybe the cheapest ownership in all of baseball, and they've still found ways to revolutionize the game consistently. Give them a fan base that about, will appreciate them. Don't forget about the worst stadium experience. In right. Baseball. That stupid catwalk. I mean, they about knocked out the eye of their own player. <laughs> anyway, anyway, speaking of the Phillies, uh, I did have a point on those that we needed to discuss that we did not get to. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and talk about that now. When you're looking at the Braves and the Phillies, you're starting to notice a widening of the gap between the Braves and the Phillies. The Braves are now four and a half up, and it has been fun to see because that that is the team that Doc and I were worried about the most coming into the season, and we consistently said it all year long to all of our guests. If you feel like fact-checking, you can go back to all of our episodes from the very beginning, and you'll hear where I and Doc a little bit later stated that the Nationals were overrated, that we were not worried about Washington, that they were a mentally weak club, and we were saying this before midseason, before the actual fall happened. Um, but the Phillies are a team that has a ton of very, very good talent. Um, well, luckily, 
The Braves and the Phillies, while they followed kind of the same starting path this year, the Phillies spent a little bit more money. But essentially, they started the same path on that rebuild. They kind of diverged completely. So the Phillies have decided instead of of building around defense and and all that, they're going to add big bomber bats, and they're going to try to out-hit you at any point during the game. The problem is they play laughably bad defense now. Talking about Reese Hoskins, I don't want to pile on Reese Hoskins because I actually kind of like him. Um, but good Lord, man, he does not need to be playing in the outfield. Uh, he's a butcher out there and it shows, I think he's like the worst rated outfielder in all of baseball. And that's behind Matt Kemp, um, which is bad. Carlos Santana, who normally was, was a pretty decent first baseman in Cleveland has been just pitiful this season. Uh, they've moved as Drupal Cabrera, who was doing so bad at second base that they moved him to third. And then he was doing so bad at third, they moved him back to second. They moved him to shortstop, and predictably, it's not going well for him. Uh, Michael Franco, eh, not good either. Uh, Edubel Herrera, or Odubel Herrera, fast, not a great defender. They don't really have a good defender anywhere on that ball club. Uh, Cesar Hernandez is the only good defender on that entire ball club. And it has started costing them here lately. You saw the plays yesterday where they're butchering some stuff, and all of a sudden... An error allows the Nationals to come back, uh, and, and it's just kind of it's getting pathetic. You've got the dumb move because Gabe Kapler used all of his pitchers and all of his bench players that he had to use Vince Velasquez as a pinch runner, and predictably, a guy that never runs bases makes a boneheaded mistake and it ends a game. So, haha, sucks for you, but that's the good thing about the Braves building around defense and speed, whereas the Phillies are just building around big guys and power. That stuff comes and goes. That's one of the things where, where a lot of the pure analytics guys will get caught up in numbers uh, about who hits more home runs and who has higher sluggings and, and things like that. And that works as evidenced by the fact that the best teams in baseball hit the most home runs. Uh, but the other fact of the matter is if you have really strong defense and you have fast runners, you can cover up a lot of mistakes. Sounds like you're describing a team we know. Like the Royals from 2015? <laughs> well, yes. And uh, a more current team like the Braves this year. Right. I think the Braves have done a good job doing this. I think when you have, especially with young pitching, I think that's the key part of it. If you've got really good veteran pitching, like like let's say the Mets. I don't think that if the Mets were in a rebuilding, rebuilding position, I don't think it would particularly matter if they went the big bopper route or they went the good defense route. I think having Syndergaard and DeGrom, right there those two can pitch for anybody like any defense it doesn't matter but for guys where you're relying on guys like Newcomb and Tehran and 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 Fulte even and all these young young guys it's essential to have really good defense behind them because they can now learn on the job they don't have to be as sharp as possible every start they can come in and they can make a couple mistakes and they can give up some good hits or some good contact and you've got a guy like ender to go run it down anywhere in the outfield or a guy like dansby whose defense has quite frankly been outstanding this year or a guy like johan camargo at third base who is a huge upgrade from bless his heart trying to watch adonis garcia move oh god he tried so hard over there i felt bad because he I don't know that there was another player that tried as hard on defense aside from Angleton Simmons. I don't know there's another player that tried as hard as Adonis Garcia. He just was not good. 
think of how far this team has come that we're talking about Adonis Garcia. It seems like 10 years ago that Adonis Garcia was the third baseman. Yeah. And now what we get to watch night in and night out. I mean, I, I want to just talk about Dansby again for a second. It's, it's, it's the reason that his, his somewhat or his mostly invisible offense this year has been okay because the defense has been so outstanding and has, has made the starting pitching more successful than it would have been. My God, Gossman's got to like, you know, Gossman's going to buy him a car at the end of the season. <laughs> to go from the worst <laughs> defensive shortstop to one of the top ten. And, yeah, and a, yeah, amazing. He was he struggled so much at the plate in 2017 that it started to spill over onto his defense. He's been better at the plate this year than he was last year. Doubled his home runs, averages up. Um, but it has not affected him in the field at all. And so, yeah, not just Gossman, but Brock, too, because they were in Baltimore. Who was the infield over there? Mach- Machado, Machado. Jonathan right. Scope. Danny Valencia at third and Chris Davis. Tim Beckham at third. Like, not not good. Yeah. Not good at all. Yeah, just just awful. And everywhere you go, you have a plus defender in the Braves infield. So, and And then, I mean, the whole thing about Ozzy's helmet flying off has become like – it's like a shtick now, but that is, he is so fast. He is running so fast, and Acuna is so fast, and Dansby is and so Dansby, fast. I was going to say, Dan, yeah, people don't give Dansby the credit for his speed, but Dansby is really fast. Dansby's actually, yeah. statistically speaking, he's actually faster than Ozzy. That's crazy. Ozzy just does he does that thing with his helmet to make himself look faster than Dansby. No, Ozzy's just looks, shorter, so he's got cool. those pistons jumping and pumping down there. Dansby's a little bit taller, so it doesn't look like he's moving as hard. Acuna <laughs> just Acuna's just fast and looks fast. Yeah, Ozzy Ozzy's legs, I mean, they're just like they're like blurry when, <laughs> when he when he's running. He's he's moving so fast. And, and yeah. it all comes back around to the the point you guys made earlier about the really smart measured moves by Anthopolis Brock and Gossman that's not by accident he knew that they could be better here with elite defense behind them and I wonder how many names they they passed over to saying okay so this isn't going to work at the trade deadline because this guy's not available for whatever reason I mean the Orioles made a very conscious decision to tear it down and trade Everything yeah. that, that wasn't that wasn't nailed down, <laughs> but uh, but so I wonder about the list because Anthopolis has mentioned in multiple interviews about deals that they explored but they weren't able to get done. So I wonder who else is out there that they're looking at saying if this guy changes this thing, you know, maybe adds a leg kick like for a, for a batter, uh, adds a leg kick or you know straightens his hands out just a little bit, just these little micro tweaks. You know what else they're other value they can extract out of these guys. Like I just, I'm, so, I want to see opening day roster 2019, like right now. I, and I obviously can't do that, but I mean, what these guys have proven and people want to look at the Duval move and, you know, it's been 36 plate appearances. Why is he not doing something amazing as if 36 plate appearances and, you know, being on the team for a month is enough to tell everything that he's about. But that's, that's another guy who's like, who's an elite defender who is, really really quick out there for being such a big dude Duvall's pretty quick as well so there's a it's a complete sea change for how it used to be 
You know, yeah, they, not, not to mention this team isn't striking out a lot either. Go ahead. Right. And if Duvall's your one complaint about Anthopolis's front office and the moves they made this year, then, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Just looking for stuff to complain about. Yeah, that's a that's pretty low hanging fruit as far as, uh, you know, that's all of the moves that they've made. Because he also he got Preston Tucker for for nothing and uh, from the Astros and wound up flipping him in the, in the deal to get Duvall. Sims had no place. Whistler had no place. Uh, Anthopolis got Shane Carl, who was one of the early season mastermind moves as well. So can't say enough. I'm so happy with where we are. I, I would love to know what would have happened at the trade deadline if Poppy were still around. <laughs> but I'm no offense, John. I, I know you're listening, but uh, I'm glad you're not the GM anymore. Well, to be 100 percent honest, I think uh, I think John Copalella gets a little too much credit. Uh, I think Copalella got a ton of it because he got so much as far as quantity of prospects involved that he covered all of his bases for the inevitable guys that didn't work out. If you look at Copy's major league moves, they were god-awful. Honestly, they were horrible. Um, And this is going to be taboo, but this is what I'm going to leave off with this week. Maybe it's time that we stop uh, killing Frank Wren as much as we do. Um, You look back on the tenure now, the Chris Johnson deal, that was horrible. Um, That might be the only bad deal aside from B.J. Upton. Those two deals might be the only two bad deals he made. Yeah, the problem is the B.J. Upton deal weighs so so heavily on that side of the scale. When you think back to Wren, it's it's hard. It's hard to sort of revise it. Yeah, but um, it was it was under Ren's regime that we got Acuna and we got Albies and, and Albies. No, I know it's true. But that that was also that was Johnny Almaraz who wound up signing those guys. Now Ren Ren was involved, but he passed that one off on the international scouting department. Well, we Camargo, hold Camargo on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We talked to Brian Bridges, and he told us that Frank Ren was not just a pass the buck along. That Frank Ren actually listened as far as the scouting department went that he had a little bit of a hand in it not as much as alex does and not as overbearing as copy but that frank wren had more say or that he was more involved in listening to his guys he did say that fair enough i don't know why maybe maybe i'm uh i I just you're conditioned to hate because his or jeff wren is such a douche um that that it makes you hate Frank a little bit, uh, and I was the same way when when Frank gave seventy five million dollars to BJ Upton. I would have liked to uh, I could have I could have peeled the paint off of a navy ship uh, with the words that were coming out of my mouth for BJ Upton to get the the biggest contract for a Brave at that time of uh, ever. Uh, I was furious, but. To be fair, he he got an amazing contract on Angleton Simmons. He got the great contract on Julio. He made the right move going Freddie over Jason Hayward. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, looking in, in hindsight, his two bad moves were horribly, horribly bad and horribly short-sighted. But you can't say that he didn't decide to go for it. And I understand the risk on a Chris Johnson because whether or not – like Chris Johnson was never going to repeat the year that he had. That was just stupid to think so. But before that, Chris Johnson had been like a 280 type of hitter who made good, solid contact. He just got paid and then, like, all of a sudden had this personal vendetta against Gatorade bottles. Look, I, 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 this year has been so exciting and so great. I was thinking recently about when's the last time 
I felt this kind of excitement about the Braves. And I think it's that opening day when the outfield was Hayward, BJ, and Justin. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it seemed like the sky was going to be the limit that year. I also out, but <laughs> I also wonder what that team would have done if uh, if old uh, Freddie was not the manager. Oh, Freddie! Yeah, <laughs> I normally am not big on the manager train. I don't normally think managers make much of a difference. Um, Freddie is a special case. Yeah, for sure. And, I, you know, look, we could probably talk an hour about Brian Snicker, and we have railed on his X's and O's on our show. But he's also, you cannot argue with what he's brought chemistry-wise. You mentioned it earlier that this is a, a, a team built on chemistry, and he's clearly responsible for a lot of that. Oh, absolutely. And I think I think that's one of those things that gets overlooked in pure numbers because you can't really quantify it. But the right. number of times that this team has come back late in games, that is a direct reflection on the attitude that the manager instills in the team. Because then you look at a team like the Nationals, who have more talent all over the place than most teams, mm-hmm. and yet if, if they fall behind and it's past the fifth inning, most of the time they're done. That's just the way it is. And that, that is a direct reflection on Brian Snicker. Now, I do want to believe in my heart that this past weekend when Snitker decided to let on a ball bat for himself, Oh, for 29 on a ball, but like Walt Weiss and Sal Pisano were telling him maybe he should reconsider. Like, are those guys talking to, to Snitker with some of these moves in game? It doesn't, I mean, maybe they've helped avoid things that we don't know were about to happen. We've talked about this before. I think Walt Weiss was brought in to be the tactical side of this, and then he fell under Brian Snicker's spell and uh, <laughs> can't go against him. But I also have this weird, irrational hatred of Walt Weiss dating back to when he was a player. Um, mm. Like, I don't have a particular reason. Like, he's an extremely nice person. Everybody who's ever met him has loved Walt Weiss. Great guy, sweetheart, really. I hate him. Always that have. Play, that play in the playoffs. I know. Has a brave. I know. Oh, my God. I've always hated him, though. Like, yeah. And that's personally, like, when, when Doc rags on me for my Dansby hate, I figured this out a few weeks back. It's because Dansby is Walt Weiss right now. That's it. Walt Weiss is an all-star. Uh, Walt Weiss was a world champion. So Walt Weiss was the worst all-star shorts up ever. He was literally only put on the team because of his glove. Still an all-star. Still an all-star. He's like, like the bizarro DH. You just put him in the field for his glove. Like he's a guy that some people, like I'd rather have Mike Hampton hit. Like if I had a chance, I'd let Mike Hampton DH for Walt Weiss. Still an all-star. Still a (laughs) champion. That's true. That is true. (laughs) Whatever. Anyway, we have gone on long enough. And now that I'm going to get blocked by Walt Weiss, um, We've already been blocked by Ender which, on the show. Which, which takes a lot. <laughs> right? <laughs> Extremely nice man, and I've just ruined everything. Uh, I, I, we've gone a little bit longer than I intended on this episode, so we had to cut a little bit out of this. I'm sorry, Steve, you don't get to play extra innings with us this week. Um, but I promise we'll have you back on. We'll run you through the gauntlet on there. Uh, for everybody out there who's not already following you, most of our followers are probably already following you, but why don't you let them know your Twitter handle? Yeah, great. We are at ATL Baseball Talk. And, uh, yeah, Atlanta Baseball Talk every Sunday night. 
there you go. Every Sunday night, you got us on Friday mornings. You got them on Sunday night. It's a good little weekend set. You start your weekend with us. You end it with them. You're good to go. You got your Braves covered all the way through. Now you got football to go on Saturdays. So now you're really covered all the way through. You never have to talk to your family. Thank goodness. Right? <laughs> Who wants to do that? We're men. This is what we like to do. And women. And women. <laughs> we do not discriminate on this show. Um, that was especially for you, Marla. To everybody out there. Thanks again for listening. It's been another fun episode. Been out uh, really, really fun doing this. This is really one of the highlights of my week. Um, got some some cool news that I might be willing to share with y'all next week on the show. Uh, as it is now, I think we are finally going to stop rambling, and we'll leave this we'll leave this one up. We'll have it put up on there uh, again, guys. If you're not following us, make sure you're following us on iTunes. Make sure you're following us on TuneIn and, and Stitcher and all those. Follow us on Twitter at TBS underscore podcast. Uh, if you go on iTunes, be nice and leave a review. Uh, again, want to thank our sponsor, mybookie.ag. Outstanding site. You should definitely go on there. If you do, make sure you use the promo code so they know that you listen to us. I don't want any of those other shows getting credit for my listeners. Everybody else out our there? Our listeners. Our listeners. I'm sorry, Doc. That was, that was, <laughs> Still that was here. mean. That was very mean and rude of me. I apologize. <laughs> Uh, everybody else out there, you guys have a great night. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Thanks, bye.